0: This show is brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com. You are listening to The Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about the psycho-spiritual and psychosocial aspects of -of end-of-life care. You can find our podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes and any platform you listen to the show from. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Saul.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Obama. And I'm Joe Newton. Our guest today is Paul Nash, who is Zooming in from Birmingham in the United Kingdom. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Saul. Thank you, Joe. It's lovely to be with you. Thank you for your welcome and invite.
1: Could you give our listeners a little background of where you grew up?
2: Um, well, you, you might have heard there's there's this little town that we have in England. Uh, we call it London. There's <laughs> there's a few people that live there. And um, I I grew up uh, in the East End and just outside into uh, the, the what you would call a kind of a state, a district just outside London. And um, I would affectionately, I'm not quite sure how this translates but i i got instead of being brought up i got dragged up oh um <laughs> tell I, us more i um yeah <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah I, I might not be able to tell you too much more there might be too many people still alive but um <laughs> but i um uh we um we were very privileged to get like a, a local council housing just to, when when i was very young um and so i was very very uh fortunate to to grow up in quite a, a kind of a, a nice neighborhood for council housing um but it was um it was a difficult upbringing at home um i was a bit of a scoundrel and um my mum went to get one of my school reports one year and and the teacher said to her uh, Mrs. Nash, I have some very horrible children in my class, and I'm sad to tell you your son is not far behind them. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I, I paid for that when I got home. Mm. Um, and so I, I got pretty close to a, a reasonable delinquent lifestyle, um, but fortunately. Um, a friend of mine invited me along to a Christian youth club when I was sixteen and um yeah, that pretty much turned tur- turned my life around from there I'm fascinated with your
3: spirit, and I see that it started at a very early age by you talking about just a tiny bit of your history of being dragged up as you called it uh and then the youth club i mean i I used to run a youth, what we call a youth group, same thing. Yep. And ran into kids like you who needed that support and needed that opportunity to be accepted for who they were under those circumstances. Is that your experience Absolutely.
2: as well? Absolutely, Joe. My, the way I describe it, Joe, is that I was loved into the kingdom, not preached into the kingdom. Amen.
3: Hmm. That's very, that's right. You
2: know, i I, I... You know that my youth leaders, um, we we wouldn't have had as a, as a sophisticated type of project that you guys are used to in the states. You know, very small clubs. You know, voluntary, all voluntary youth mm-hmm. workers, mm-hmm. leaders, and um, they, these these two couples basically just said to a few of us, you know, my our homes are your homes, and we were just accepted. And um, yeah, you know, it was a bit of a sh- culture shock.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, uh, I I don't just mean church; I mean the whole thing. Right. Um, mm. I still have indelibly printed on my mind the first time I went for a meal, and they served spaghetti bolognese, and and I had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea how to eat it. it was a, <laughs> a, there was some some real cultural shifts. Yes. And, um, I remember my, one of the first times I prayed in church, one of the, the ministers came up to me and said, I'm very sorry, Paul. I couldn't understand what you were saying. I said, well, that's okay. I wasn't praying to you. <laughs> you, you know, and kind of, and you, you, you know they, they, we, they were very, very gracious. Um, you know, and, um, some some people just saw some potential in me, and um, it was the first time I I did I was very very fortunate I I uh, um, I wasn't diagnosed with dyslexia until my mid thirties. Wow! And so at school I pretty much failed school. <laughs> I mean seriously full on. Unfortunately, I found something I was good at, which, which was cooking. Huh. And um, so I went to catering college and um, one of the youth leaders was doing another course, uh, uh, some badge work, some project work with one of our other uniform organizations. And he, he invited me to go along and do a bit of first aid training with with these young people. And that was my kind of entry into, into youth work. So, So, yeah, it was good to give something back. Absolutely. One of the
3: things that we would do in our youth group and I'm just going to one little short little story here is we would go and do mission trips. And whenever we went out on a mission trip, every time we started the trip and every time we ended the trip, we always started always did communion, the Eucharist. And I had one I had one conversation one evening with our the, the youth group and this one young man who was brought in by a friend. I asked, you know, said, hey, you know, I, what I really like about this, and I really think it's really important, is that, that bread and, and juice thing you do. And I'm like, he got it. He understood what it was about. And, you know, in other words, he had never been to church. He had no understanding of what it was supposed to mean or anything, but he got the meaning of it. And, you know, that's the type of thing that you find in youth
1: work. Yeah. So how did your journey to priesthood then begin? Good question.
2: Um, so uh, that little town that I was talking to you about, um, <laughs> I I um, I was fortunate. Uh, like I say, I I really, I was so fortunate. I found God and catering in the same year. Mm. Uh, and uh, catering, I, they helped me excel and do well at something. Uh-huh. And it was a lot of multiple choice and a lot of practical, which, you know, for a dyslexic person who doesn't know they're dyslexic and, they just think you're thick and mm. been dragged up in a broken family you you know they they didn't expect anything else from me you know I just fitted the caricature. and um, and I just I thrived at catering college um, uh, I enjoyed it. I was reasonably good at it. Um, I I was very fortunate to come out a top student with within my course. And one of the top students at the for the whole college for that year. And um, was good enough to be put forward for a couple of jobs uh, at the big hotels in London. I don't know whether they kind of translate to you. Um, so as a hotel, quite a famous hotel called the Savoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I worked there for a couple of years at a hotel called the Dorchester uh, in the west end of London um the Savoy is the one on uh, in in some of the big uh, films so notting yep. hill if you've seen that film yep. they go to the Savoy hotel yep that that's, mm. that's that's where i worked
1: so you were successful as a chef how did you transition then or are you still doing so um
2: i moved i moved to london and um what, one of my uh, deacons at church had the real wisdom to uh introduce me to the uh, church that he grew up in as a young person in london and um it was a really good fit um yeah. i had this uh dodgy minister from somewhere called a- america and um <laughs> a guy called rt kendall and uh he was the minister at the time of a place called westminster chapel oh. and mm. uh, i went and was helped out with the youth work there and we're doing shifts and You know, it was really hard work to get really committed to putting something back into the youth work. And um, I came across a couple of programs and um, I made some inquiries and I went along to a a Christian festival at Easter called Spring Harvest. And I went along for a bit of counselling and they said, well, you know, I'm sure God will guide you. And I said, well, that's what I want. And this guy just had the wisdom to turn around to me and he says, well, have you applied for anything? And I said, Oh no, I haven't applied for anything. I've got all the prospectuses at home. And he said, Well, don't you think you need to apply? And I went, <laughs> Yeah, I suppose so. You know. <laughs> and I just needed somebody to join those dots up, right? You know, it's it right. a big step you know, right. for my family, you know, working in the big hotels in London, you know, it's very prestigious to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure my my granddad ever forgave me for giving it up. You, you know, I was, it was something he was very proud of to tell his friends, I joined you for Christ as a volunteer. And um, yeah, we, we had some full-time youth work experience with them uh, in the early 80s and just really did it as a year out to go back to my church as a better youth worker. And um, as they say, the rest is dubious history. Yes, um, and that was 1982 and um, did some wonderful volunteering back then and um, got some real great principles of ministry and service um, that have stood me in good stead. And um, yeah, so they they were obviously really hard up at the time because they asked me to do another year and then join the staff. So it was obviously a real dearth of experience back uh-huh. then. Uh-huh. And so I joined um, the staff of Youth for Christ, running these short-term programs. And um, my wife and I ended up in again in your language in the Episcopal Church. Yep. To set up Youth for Christ in Birmingham, as well as running our national programs, and we ended up in an Episcopal Church, a Church of England church, and came across, you know, ordained ministry and training and stuff, and. I always had a prayer as a youth worker, and you, you would understand this, Joe, if you were in youth work. It was, Lord, what, whatever I've done wrong, please don't make me get ordained, right? It's the <laughs> prayer of every youth worker, right? <laughs> For it's, sure. Lord, I, <laughs> I, I repent now, whatever I've done wrong, forgive me. Don't yeah. make me do that. Mm. And um, and I came across this, what they called non stipendary self-supporting ministry, um training. And I thought that sounds great. Get to do all that Eucharist stuff that you were talking about with, with the kids and uh-huh. carry on in Youth for Christ. And um yeah, a few things kind of changed along the way. And I was very, very reluctant. So I started the first year um, with that same deacon that I talked to you about. He paid for my first year fees. For me to get some better theological training, mm-hmm. then I found about about all this ordination, the people who were training for ordination, and so started my second year as a non-stipendary minister, and then circumstances changed, and then I started my third year as a stipendary minister, and mm. that was me, and that's how that's that reflects my level of reluctance <laughs> of being ordained uh Nothing against the Church of England. That was just my my wife and I were just uh, went to whatever church God guides us to in whichever town or city we lived in, and we loved being like that. And you kind of went, "Oh well, we better keep going to the Church of England." Now they've given me a dog collar. Yep. And um <laughs> so we, um, so I I then gave up a youth ministry in Youth for Christ and moved to. Um, one of the inner city churches in Birmingham. And it was just, it was just wonderful. It was that hand in glove moment Uh of ministry uh that uh perhaps only comes around for most of us once or twice in a lifetime. And and that was for me, one one of them, a vicar there who took me under his wing, a guy called Keith Sinclair, who went on to be a bishop in the Church of England and just, was just wonderful and it was a great fit and um you know i obviously from london you know we had a good northern prejudice of you know anything north of london was there any civilization you know <laughs> but we we ended up in birmingham and one of these long-term families in aston just turned around to me early on and just said so you're one of us really then Hmm. You know, and so I had five wonderful years there in a a multi faith environment where you know where you where it wasn't supposed to work like it was. You know, Mm -hmm. it was an evangelical church and a minister who was given the privilege of chairing the churches and mosques association. You know, Mm -hmm. that's how embedded we were into our local community. And one day we would be giving out the Jesus video in 10 different languages. And then the next day, you know, we'd be protesting around our local business for them wanting to, you know, not do great things in our local community, arming um, arm with our Muslim brothers. And it was a fantastic experience for me to see how, how that kind of multi-faith work can work for the benefit for the inner city. Excellent. And it was five
1: wonderful years. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, with that, we'll take a little break. Our guest is Paul Nash, who is a chaplain at Birmingham Hospital. We'll be right back.
0: If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service, providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info I'm
1: Sole and You're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. We continue our conversation with Paul Nash. So tell us your journey to chaplaincy then.
2: So that that prayer that I was uh, talking to you about, um, I, I had to work that through really, you know, quite seriously. And so um, the Lent, bef- when I was finishing, um, I helped the church through an interregnum and um, a lot of people wanted me to stay and I wanted to stay, but didn't feel quite right. And um, you, yourselves or some of your listeners might be familiar with something called Ignatian spirituality. Yes. And uh, we are the uh, two questions, you know, of what brings you life and what brings you death. There's a beautiful book called The Lins called Sleeping With Bread. If you've not come across it, I thoroughly recommend it. Um, and it looks like a children's book, but it but it asks those Examining questions in a most user-friendly way I think I've ever read in any book. And I read a little bit of that book every day for Lent. And, and I realized that everything about running a church bought me death and everything around people bought me life. And it was uh, uh, just after Easter, a job at the children's hospital, a part-time job at the children's hospital came up. And I was already had a jo- another part-time job lined up going back into training youth workers. And um, I was very, very fortunate to get the job. And that was part-time uh, for a few years. And then the senior chaplain at the Children's Hospital left. And I and I enjoyed still training youth workers. Um, and so I had two part-time jobs that only ended up at four and a half days a, a week, Um you know, after church work, I felt like a part-timer. I, you, you, you know, I had these things called evenings and weekends <laughs> and stuff. I didn't know what to do with myself. And, you, you know, and um, they, uh, the, the senior chaplain retired. And I, I kind of said, I don't really want the full-time job. I'm still enjoying training youth workers and children's workers and family workers. And, um they they kind of started at full time. I started at half time. Um and we met nearer their end than mine. So we we ended up with my four days at the hospital and one day training youth workers. So um, which I then did a few other hours, so it was a day and a half. So um yeah, I so um and I've been here at the children's hospital, it'll be 19 years this year. Um And then, so four years ago, the children's and the women's hospital joined together. Um, And so I came to that stage of my ministry where I said to one of my mentors, You know, I can't really see myself doing this for another 10 years. And he said, Well, when you get to that stage, either you need to change or the job needs to change. And that's when the hospitals joined together. And if I thought what we did here in paediatrics was hard yeah a maternity hospital is is something else and it's been my privilege for the last three years to lead the team and the work there at the women's hospital um, as well as here at the children's with and our our hospital got the contract for 0 to 25 mental health service and 0 to 35 uh, learning difficulties, and so we, um, so I, I, I head up those three different facets of our work now. So, as you can imagine, exceptionally rewarding, I'm very, very privileged to be a part of a a, a wonderful multi faith and belief team, and being trusted to try a few silly things in our hospital and. Yeah, try and do things a little bit differently because it's a children's hospital. So, what are some of those
3: silly things you call them? <laughs> I'm very intrigued about well, that because you okay. know. I... Well,
2: some of the some of the early things was um, was on the more serious uh, end. Joe, um, when when I became senior chaplain, um, we we decided that we would try and do something that was very difficult uh very well and uh the most difficult thing that we were doing uh Birmingham is just about to become the UK's first black majority city in the mm. UK wow and so you know it's a very very multicultural multi faith city and so we 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 gave ourselves the challenge of doing multi-faith bereavement well. Mm. And uh, we were very fortunate to be able to have some extra money. To We it, recruited a, a Hindu chaplain to go alongside our Muslim iman and a Sikh chaplain and a female Muslim chaplain. And we were able to recruit some really gifted, wonderful people. And we produced the first... Uh, Child Bereavement Islamic book in the world that was written by one of our team, and we produced some wonderful Islamic resources um and you know, coming from an evangelical background that was that was an interesting journey and you know, as I look back and I kind of go, well wh- what was that? And I kind of look at myself and I, if I said to you guys well you know if if between us we we were in a hospital in Pakistan how would we want to be looked after?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And I, I looked at that in this country and I went, well, if there is a Muslim in the bed, I think they should be offered a Muslim chaplain and, and all the best Muslim religious care for them that they could have. And that's been our values and our principles for the last six, 16 years. And, um, it it was very, very counterintuitive. Uh, and, and you know when you're sometimes glad you're not clever enough to plan things? Uh-huh, well, yes. th- this was one of those instances. So because we did our first resource that was Muslim, when I applied for money to do a Christian resource, everybody went, oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, everybody told me it was more difficult than that. Mm-hmm. And they went, no, that's fine, you know. So we've really concentrated on doing multi faith rather than inter faith. Yeah. We so we do mono faith work here, yeah. and and we find that's just much more respectful, uh, and you can be much more authentic. Yeah. You know, I I I don't need to be anybody else but Paul Nash, a Christian minister. Right, you know no. that that's that's me. Uh-huh. and you know if a Muslim or a Sikh or a Hindu wants me to pray well that's that's my privilege absolutely and uh but but if they would like somebody of their own faith I will go absolutely let me go and get somebody for you mm. and we, we've I'm not saying there's not other models and there's you know definite weaknesses of what we do um but but that's been our the, the model that we did and um we we developed, you know, we looked at hospital language, and I heard this thing called pathway, you know. So we we developed um, a, a multi faith and belief multi faith and belief bereavement pathway for all two hundred and fifty bereavements in our hospital in in a year, and every single family got exactly the same service from us, but bespoke to their religion, and. Um, You know, that gave us some credibility in the hospital. Um, And it also, you know, it kind of helped us to kind of, that we were safe, pair of hands. And um, you you know when you kind of just get a little bit too pleased with yourself? Yeah, well, we we got to that stage and we had some youth work students because I was still doing the youth work that I was talking to you about. So we had one of the students turn up. And and I, you know, young people and youth workers, you, you know, they just say it how it is, right? Yes. yes. So I was telling them how wonderful our multi-faith bereavement pathway was and, you know, how we, we're doing all these anniversary cards and condolence cards and videos and books and and stuff like this. And this, you, you know what, this youth worker had the audacity to ask me, guys. Mm-hmm. They said, they looked me in the eye and said, so what are you doing for these patients in the bed?
1: Mm. <laughs> good question.
2: We kind of went, hmm, that's a very good question. And what we realised was, Saul, that we, we had done what many ministers had been doing over the years, that we had been defaulting in a children's hospital in dealing and supporting the parents, mm. you know? Because most of the time they were the ones that were most awake and more and most articulate. You know, there's only so much conversation you can have with a neonate, right? I Mm. mean,
1: yeah.
2: And so we, we, you know, we'd slipped into some really default practice Mm. and we went, no, okay, this has got to, this has got to change. And so one of our um, uh, national, our, one of our Royal Medical Colleges had just started something called a participation project to help um, children and young people in hospital be more participative in their care, and we used that as as a pilot project to go and see what we could do in terms of activities with them, and um, we went and trialed some different activities, and. Uh, Lo and behold, we we found out children and young people liked doing activities in hospital. <laughs> who'd, who'd have thought? <laughs> I mean, you know, and you know that that was, you know, they were bored out of their skulls, and you, you know we um we were able to do some very, very creative work with them, and we learned as we went along, and we did this first little research project. And we that's where we got our first twelve principles and insights and trialed some of our early activities um and you know we we learn we learn from there yeah and it's transformed the way we do chaplaincy yes. it's attracted different people, so we with people who understand children and young people get what we do because yes. The the beautiful marriage that we had, um, and this, you know, if I bought anything to the show, this this is what I bought, was the different, the two parts of, of my vocation. I bought all the professional children's and youth work principles to pediatric chaplaincy. Yep. And and so that's how we were able to do things safely and professionally. And um So I used all my colleagues from university to help me write things and develop projects. And um, so we did some of the first good practice manuals in working and supporting with children and young people in hospital and hospices. Um, And uh, we worked with the university uh, to develop uh, the first postgraduate certificate in paediatric chaplaincy. And so you know we've brought a professionalism um, to 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 what we do, um, and now we have one of the most qualified pediatric chaplaincy teams uh, in the in the country yeah. because we we raise money and say if you want to join us come and join us we we offer you all this training free of charge and we offer that to our staff and our volunteers and if they want to do it. To postgraduate certificate level, they can, and just kind of gives you an indication of the spirit within our team. That the first graduate of of our course was one of our volunteers, not one of our staff, mm. and that kind of just set set the tone um, to where to where we are. And um, yeah, so it's been um, a wonderful a wonderful journey of Mm. what we then didn't, we just called it uh, spiritual encounters. Um, And then we realized what we were doing was spiritual play. We come across godly play and we come across play in the hospital. And we went, well, I think what we're doing is called spiritual play. Uh You know, Um, it means it's available for everybody. Um, And it's uh, one of those concepts that we we one of our mantras is it's easier to explore than explain and so we do spiritual play we we don't ex- we don't explain to the kids what spirituality is no. we just put you know a big pile of russian dolls out on the bed and go play with these russian dolls or you know here's some beads each bead is a different type of uh Need that you might have, do you want to put together a bracelet or a key ring, and on one side of the key ring or the bracelet, put all the things that you've got, and on the other side, put all the things that you would like
3: uh-huh.
2: you know and in that way, you know we take all the best principles of community work, of asset-based community work and we say, we affirm you for the resources that you've already got, but this must be hard what what are those things that you might like to you know that you might not have but the, because we we work with to professional standards we don't assume that we're the answer to their problem we just help them articulate that and say what would you like to do about that that's for them to invite us in right yep. and so empowerment and participation <laughs> are at the heart of what we do in spiritual play and um it, it like I say, it's just transformed the the way that we've that we've done it, and um, we we get into trouble because in the early days when I took it to the I took it to the nursing team, the senior nurses, and said to them, "This is this is what we're doing." So this is about maybe ten years ago, and um, and they said, uh, "Why are you doing this with the children?" why aren't you doing this with the staff? (laughs) And I said, it's only the kids that invited us to do it. (laughs)
1: You
2: you want us to invite, you want us to do this with staff, then provide us with the opportunity. So we now do spiritual play with families and we do spiritual play with staff. And we've found many of the same activities are, are exactly the same. Some of it is different language. You know, you can use... Different types of concepts with, with adults that you wouldn't want to use, you know. But, That's right. You know. So, mm-hmm. and it's, but sometimes, you know, the spiritual care bracelets, and you know, all the as we've seen in, you know, the we we don't need to explain spiritual well being anymore, right? I mean, if COVID's mm. taught us anything, it's taught us about spiritual well being. Uh-huh. And we, uh-huh. we know that being connected with people is really important. Uh-huh. You know, it's that meaning making is yep. is what it's about. And so, uh-huh. you know, when, when we're trying to do that, you know, what, what do you do? We kind of go, well, spiritual play. And they kind of go, what's that? And I kind of go, well, it's it's lifting spirits mm-hmm. or it's lifting and soothing
1: spirits. So with that, we'll take a little break. Our guest is Paul Nash. who's a chaplain at Birmingham Hospital in the UK. We'll be right back.
3: Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com.
1: I'm Soler and you're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. We continue our conversation with Paul Nash. Mm. Uh, you know, tell us more about the spiritual play as an assessment tool uh, for pediatric patients.
2: Yeah, well, it's um, a really good uh, question, Sol, because we, we think we've found in spiritual play uh, an assessment and intervention tool. And when we said this to our psychologists in our working group, they said to us, well, of course, that's what you've found. And we're like, what do you mean, of course? She said, well, whenever I sit down with a client and I listen to them and I look at them and I practice active listening and give them my full attention, not only am I doing an assessment on their needs, they are having an intervention on their needs. Because they are feeling listened to and affirmed. And we went, okay, that sounds completely logical. And we realized that's what we were doing with spiritual play. And so, one of the, um, uh, I, I'll give you a hospice um, uh, example because I appreciate, you know, that that's most, you know, where you're coming from. Yes. So, we've been sharing and doing some of the training. We, and people were coming to us from hospices and some of the, the local regional uh, spiritual play specialists from our hospices were coming and spending time with us. And uh, one of the youth workers um, uh, in in one of the hospices um, didn't quite think what we were doing was quite right. So she went and designed their own, right, which is always the best way. So she took, you know, that well-known imagery of an elephant, mm-hmm. And um, she uh, didn't use it like the elephant in the room. And so she worked with the children and young people of all different um, uh, abilities. And she said, either, do you want to draw an elephant or we'll, you know, draw an elephant together. And so and she so that's what she did. And uh, this is how she explains it to the children. So they draw the elephant and then she says to them, right, so you've got that trunk and when you have elephants walking together, they join together with the elephant in front with the trunk to the tail. Who are you connected to? <laughs> Who do you need to be connected to? Huh. Huh. And then the kids would answer. Huh. And then they would say, right, right. You've got great big ears on this elephant. Who's listening to you? Mm. You've got a great big body on this elephant. Who are you really? Mm. Who's all of you? Point to the legs. What's holding you up? They look really strong legs. What's holding you up? And then they point to the tail and go, What do you need to defecate?
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Awesome.
2: That's a
3: whole different approach than I would have thought, quite frankly.
2: How do, what do you need to let go of?
3: Yes, mm-hmm. all of that. That that you know, my initial thought when you said elephant, of course, was yep. the elephant yep. in the room.
2: Yeah. And Indeed.
3: it's more
1: than that. It's Indeed. redefining the elephant in that's the that's
2: right. That's awesome. Indeed. Absolutely. And so we're we're just working on another model. Um you you guys have um the the five thousands, and you you you've um we've inflicted Formula One on you a little bit in the in the in the US. Um so we're we're we we like that idea of the elephant. So we're using the same for a Formula One car with Mm. some of the kids that like racing. And the reason why we're using a Formula One car is not just because it'll appeal to different ages and maybe different genders, but um, a safety mechanism in a Formula One car of what saved one of our recent drivers' lives when his car split in two was the new head piece that comes over the top. Mm. Do do you guys know what that's called? The new safety mechanism that they designed in a Formula One car? It comes over the back of the car and over the driver's head. And it's called a halo.
1: Ah. Mm. Yep.
2: Makes so sense. Makes sense. You can see where I'm going with this, right? Yes. What's your engine? What's your wheels? Mm-hmm. What's your halo?
1: Mm. Yeah? What's your wings? So There's it could apply tractor. to anything.
2: It's exactly. And and you know, like like we said, guys. Spiritual care is easier to explore than explain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I would suggest, Saul, that that youth worker in that hospice did a spiritual assessment. Absolutely. With that patient. Yes. What do you think? Yes. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, so I mean, I could. I could tell you these stories all day long. I mean, let let me pick out a couple for you. We, um, we liked, sometimes we just, we create things from scratch and then we just take things off the shelf and adopt and adapt them. Adopting and adapting, it's a posh way for pinching. It's, you know, and so we, we took those, the Russian dolls idea and, um, we just say to the children, here's some Russian dolls. And this uh, young girl, um, young teenager, um, she had um, an infection in her brain. So mm. one minute she was fine and the next minute she was not. And it, the way it manifested was is that she, she would appear as though she had a mental illness like schizophrenia but it was an infection in a part of her brain. And she set all these Russian dolls up. I mean, I wish I could show you the picture of it. And she put, she did did clothes, she did feathers out the top of their heads and, and everything. And she did this big long line of Russian dolls and they were all wonderfully brightly dressed and colored in and all these feathers everywhere. And the only difference is on one of the Russian dolls where she put a frown rather than a smile. Mm. And she turned around to the chaplain and said, these are all me.
1: Mm. Mm. Wow, that's (laughs) deep. Very good.
2: (laughs) These are all me. Even mm. the one with the upside down face. I yep. don't like being what I'm doing. And I know it's not nice for everybody around me, but I need people to know that I don't like it either. But it is still me.
3: Mm. Yes. Wow. Doing some great work there, Paul. You're yeah. doing some great work. That's incredible.
2: Um, so it, it's... So, like, like you guys say, you know, when you kind of go play, all that, you know, that's just mucking around and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm. But because we 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 have these in principles, so we go out intentionally.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: We 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 go out with a focus.
1: Mm.
2: We we go out to go. This this is who we are, and this is what we offer. And because of the professional principles of empowerment and participation, we give lots of choice, um, and we we do the um, the offer the activities like that. And we because other people in the hospital then get what we're doing, they kind of go well, well, well. Can we join in? And we go, yeah, come on, room room for everybody, right? Because uh-huh. we got play workers, so we then do. Projects with the play workers, and then we do hospital-wide during the holidays, and we just blitz the hospital, and everybody goes out and does the same activities. Yeah, and so, so going back uh, to the elephants, so you know, like you were saying, where do you go with this? The elephant in the room.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, we we found um, small cardboard elephants. Right. Um, about the size of of an adult fist. And then we thought, what could we do for the rooms? And you can actually buy uh, blank shoe boxes. Uh And so they are the colour of cardboard. And so we said to the children and young people for one of the summer holidays, would you like to do your elephant in the room? And instead of doing it about bereavement, we did it about what's not being talked about in your care.
0: Mm. Mm. So you and can go. So a, you
3: can go in so many different directions with e- this exactly. thing called to call. Then this thing called play, Indeed. and and, and and it's and play is is everybody understands what play is. I yeah. think, yeah. uh on the most part. And so I mean, it's not threatening, which is also very no. very no. powerful.
2: Yeah, and again, it's it's a three sixty degree guys. Mm, Everybody yeah. gets to interpret.
3: Yes. Mm.
2: It's not just the, it's not the power just lying with the professional. The child can interpret it. The parents can interpret it. The nurse can interpret it uh-huh. as well as the chaplain. And,
3: and yes. so that
2: 360 degree. And, and it's, you know, when we're talking about people being disenfranchised in hospital, this is giving power to the patients, no matter how, you know, how many choices do these kids really get?
3: hmm uh-huh. That's right.
2: You know, and you know, when we're kind of doing it. And so those those elephants, so we did the idea, Joe, like like you were saying, and we did the elephant in the room. Uh. And um they colored in their boxes as well as their elephant. And we did a tower. We we did like a, a an apart, an apartment block uh-huh. ra- rather than a house, because our exhibition area was tall and thin. Mm. and um we did one one box and it's a real shame i can't show it to you but you just have to try and visualize this so it was like a shoe box and he painted it all yellow Uh... all the inside of this box was all yellow and the and his elephant the size of his an adult fist was he painted all yellow as well and we give them you know 20 different colors to decorate these elephants and and all different bits of lace and ribbon, and they could just, you know, if people go on the website, they'll see how much these kids decorated these um, elephants. And the only thing this guy, this young lad, he just drew on his elephant a black line around the rim of the ear. And again, because the team are now trained professionally, they say, would you mind telling me about your elephant? Mm. And this young man just straight panned, just looked back and, and said, Nobody sees me.
3: Nobody Whoa. sees
2: my problem. Whoa. Mm. Mm. Good good question. Saul, so, is that an assessment tool or what?
1: Uh, it is. It is to me. Very proper.
2: Wow. You know? Yeah. Now, you could have done a couple of hours therapy and maybe got there <laughs> with that kid, right? Maybe. have had a conversation going, what's going on today and stuff like that. Yep, maybe. But with some voluntary play and some voluntary activities, that this is, and my, and my team are just wonderful. They just go out on all the critical areas. Yeah, they're not doing this, you know, on the really, you know, easy you know, non-poorly kids. You know, we're on the oncology wards. Mm-hmm. You, you know, we're 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 on some really serious. You know, on our transplant wards. You know, we're we're out there doing this this spiritual play, and it's and it like I say, it's transformed who we are, and we're we're working with some people that with some some wonderful chaplains over in in the US who are looking at things like storytelling and bibliotherapy and, and how we do storytelling and helping the children do and write their own stories. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, we're really looking forward. I just won't do too much of a tease, but we, we really do hope to be able to share some more of these stories Yeah, and do some research into, so we've got the evidence, Saul, Yes. That these spiritual play really is effective and reliable yes. as an assessment and intervention tool, and that's our next step. That's that's where we need to go next.
1: Yep. Yeah. So we'll have to invite you back, but uh, thank you very <laughs> much, Paul.
2: Yes. Thank you for for all your stories. Those are wonderful. You're 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 very welcome. So if people want to check out the website. Center for Pediatric Spiritual Care. They'll, they'll see there's there's loads of free giveaways. You can sign up for a bi-monthly newsletter. We do a new, fresh activity every two months that we give away. There's lots there, lots of videos, lots of other links, um, as well as the hospital website. Um, and we've got, just to give you a, 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 something you might want to just go and have a look at, we... we we worked with some people who's an animator. And so we started to do some animation. And so we've just started exploring chaplaincy avatars. So uh, your listeners aren't, are fortunate enough not to see my shirt today, uh, but <laughs> if they want to see some of the stuff that we wear, um, we've started to do um, a, a chaplaincy animation. That's, that's basically says what do chaplains do, and we've got some some animations and avatars, just again just to kind of explain to everybody because if we're going to explain to the kids, it's unlikely that the adults are going to enjoy it as well, right? Yes, right. And and it and so we've we've just started to do that, and we rich our animator has just done a wonderful wonderful job uh, with us, and it's friendly for multi faith. I I haven't told you know we haven't even done all the multi face celebrates that we did just for the Hindu festival of Holi of 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 all the of all the uh, the colourful paints that we can normally throw over each other to <laughs> celebrate Holi. This year we did graffiti boards, and I just wish I could show you some of the pictures of some of these. We went to the the mental health unit and just bought these children and young people developed was just so profound. One of them just asked to stay behind because she wanted to do her own one. And she did one of a beautiful sunset and said, that's what I'm hoping for. We'll, we'll see you again. You'll be, you'll be very welcome. Yeah. However, thank and bless you. you guys for what you're doing. I appreciate that. And thank you for the, for the, for the invite. And
3: thank I you. love your shirt. looks great. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah.
2: <laughs> my, I wore my lifting spirit shirt just could for tell. you today. I could
3: tell. My this word. is my
2: balloons lifting spirit. Thank you. Anyway, bless you guys for all you're doing and helping to encourage the field and to equip everybody. I really do appreciate it and and, and bless you in all of this.
1: Thank, Thank you. you very much. That was Paul Nash, who is a chaplain at Birmingham Children's Hospital in the United Kingdom. Thank you for listening.
0: This podcast was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Joliet, Illinois. Audio Hive Podcasting is a studio dedicated to podcast recording, editing, and production. For more information, visit us at audiohivepodcasting.com.